Great. Thank you, Matt. That's, that's smashing. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and we are going to, to see how, how Jesus serves us, um, what, what it means that we are served by Christ. So, so let's pray. Father, you are so good to us that, that you pursue us and draw us back to yourself with a gospel of love and of grace, a gospel that speaks of your kindness, a gospel that declares that your son is our servant um, long before he is served by us. Mm. And Father, we, we pray that as we just spend time now pushing into the, the nature of your son's service of us and, and what he does for us, that you would reorientate those things in our lives so that we would delight to be served by Christ and, and see that as who we are uh, before we consider ourselves as his servants. Amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that's the, the key verse of um, today. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And, and it is a verse that is paradigm shifting, I think, to many of us in the church. I was talking with people over coffee about how we, we know these things and yet we don't live them. How there's a disconnect between what we would preach, the gospel that we would um, share with others and actually how we, how we live it out. Um, and, and I think that there often is. Um, I think maybe the devil finds it easier to persuade us to kind of get something wrong in the hurly-burly of life than he does to change our theology. And of course, he knows if you can change the way we act, our theology will follow a few years later and we'll end up um, justifying ourselves. We'll end up with a theology that says it's how well you preach that matters. Because if we've kind of built that into our lives, we will subtly build it into our theology. Um, so, so the way we counter that, I think, though, is not through lots of looking inward. Again, I had a couple of conversations. We were, people were saying, we were talking, saying that we have really mixed motives, um, and we do. And I think we will never sort our motives out until Jesus Christ comes in glory. <laughs> um, I think the way we approach it is not to look at ourselves and try to think, how do I... How do I stop serving wrongly? Which of, those, which of those errors am I making today? Am I serving for, for paying God back? Am I serving for the approval of others? Am I serving because I want to earn something? As you can know, that, that's not what it's about. Let's stop looking at ourselves and our service. And let's look at Jesus. Mm. And that's how our motives are, are sorted. That's how he changes us Amen. as we look at him. There's a, there's a beautiful verse, um, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, as we with unveiled faces behold the Lord... So the Lord who is the Spirit changes us from glory to glory. As we look at Jesus, the Spirit changes us and makes us like him. That's how Christian change happens. As we look at Jesus, the Spirit makes us like him. Not as we work hard for Jesus. The Spirit, no, it doesn't. And that's not the way he works. Um, so, Mark 10.45 is key. But that is the verse that, that makes sense of Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is, this is a, an offer of the gospel and it's beautiful. Um, I don't know if, I, I'm sure this rings true, your friends are burdened. They are burdened with pressures at work. Um, they, they are burdened with the pressures of unemployment. They are burdened with the pressures of, of trying to find someone to marry. Or they're burdened with the pressures of marriage and being a good husband or wife. <laughs> or they're, they're burdened with the, the pressures of parenthood. Um, little children need constant care and attention. And my observation is that once your children stop needing constant care and attention, they need constant taxiing round um, to different activities. And then they need constant cash handouts. Um, and and then, then you die. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and if you have a lot of children, you've got all of them at the same time. Cash handouts, taxi service, constant care. Um, and you die. Um, <laughs> You know, quicker. Yes, <laughs> quicker. <laughs> Life is full of burdens. And, and people feel burdened. Um, find someone who doesn't say they feel tired. Um, find someone who doesn't say things are a bit tough. And, and here, Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. <laughs> what a great message for us to tell our friends. And, and imagine if we told our friends and they went, well, yeah. Yeah, I see that in your life. I see that these things that so worry me don't worry you. I see that you are not burdened, that you, you have a lightness about you. You have a joy about you. I see that your God carries your burdens. I would like that. Yes, that, that offer is beautiful to me. Now here, Jesus does say, take my yoke upon you. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we'll come to that in the next talk. There is a sense in which we, we wear Jesus' yoke. We are his servants. But for this talk, we're going to concentrate on that, that rest that Jesus gives us. So how does Jesus serve us? We're looking at the wonder of a serving Jesus. Um, and, and Jesus is our servant, but clearly that doesn't make us Jesus' master, does it? The Bible never says we are the master of Jesus. Jesus' master is God the Father and God the Father alone. So we're not Jesus' master. So, so how does he serve us? The relationship isn't that he's a servant and we're the master. No, Jesus serves us as a friend serves his friends. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 15, verse 13. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 13. Um, page 1083 in the, the Maroon Bibles, page 1083, John chapter 15, verse 13. <clears throat> Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus considers us his friends. Speaking to his disciples, he revealed everything to them, and he commanded them to, to preach it to the world. 
He gave them the Spirit so that when they wrote the New Testament, they wrote it right. So we know everything as well. By extension, this applies to us, not just the disciples, because Jesus has revealed everything to us as well as to them. We are his friends. And he says he, he lays down his life for his friends. It, it's the picture. Uh, I remember reading an account of an incident, um, the, the retreat of the British forces at the start of the Second World War. Um, an unusual incident. I don't want to be jingoistic, but a group of a rear guard had been taken prisoner. They'd surrendered. Um, and, and the unit they had been taken uh, prisoner by, the German unit they'd been taken prisoner by, sought to kill them. They put them in a barn and they threw grenades into the barn. Um, and the, the account I was reading, written by one who survived, said the officers threw themselves on the grenades as they came in the windows to save the men. And, and that's what Jesus is saying, that's what he, you do. You lay down your life. You read a lot of these accounts of soldiers who give their lives um, so that their, their friends live. And that's, that's Jesus' picture. It was the same then. You know, I'm sure there were accounts in the Roman world of legionaries who, who stayed and, and held off the enemy so their, their comrades could retreat safely. That's the kind of picture Jesus gave me. I, I lay down my life for my friends. I don't lay my, my life for, for acquaintances. I don't lay down my life for my servants. I lay it down for my friends. We, we think we serve to impress him. That is not a, a friendly way to treat him, is it? When we try to impress our friends, that's not friendship, that's competition. Jesus is our friend. And, and he unpacks that, says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. So I've called you friends because everything I've learned from my father I have made known to you. Jesus does not want our blind obedience. And we're not the, the spiritual life brigade. So this is the second soldier analogy in a row. Um, I'll try and pick something uh, less warlike next time. But um, the light brigade, they, they were a, a cavalry unit that were ordered to charge the Russian guns during the Crimean War. And a, a great poem was read about them. Um, charging guns on a horse is not a clever idea. Um, it was a bad order. Many of them were killed. And, um, and the poem that was written about it, the charge of the light brigade, goes, there's not to reason why. There's but to do and die into the valley of death, rode the 600. And I think we sometimes think of God like that. He tells us what to do and we do it. It's not our place to reason why. It's not our place to say why, Lord. We, we obey. And here Jesus says, well, actually, I, I tell you why. It is your place. Now, of course, it's a good thing to so trust Jesus that even when we don't understand, we still obey. But... He loves to show us what he's doing. He loves to tell us why. He doesn't just say, um, I don't know, uh, speak the truth in love. He shows us what that looks like in, in his life as he speaks in different ways to different people. He speaks strongly to the Pharisees because he loves them. He knows that only strong speech will, will change their hard hearts. He speaks gently to the woman caught in adultery or to the woman who pours the perfume on his feet because he knows that, that they are hurting and they need to hear a loving, gentle voice. And, and then he shows us why. He says, because he wants us to love each other 
and he wants us to be known as a, the light of the world, the city on a hill where truth shines out. He shows us what love looks like, what truth looks like. He shows us why love matters, why truth matters. He doesn't just tell us to do something. He, he unpacks it for us. And that runs through. It is not wrong to ask why. When you don't understand something, you know Jesus has said you, you should do this. Um, and you think, well, I don't understand why. Everyone else in the world thinks differently. Well, the answer is probably in the Bible. Obey when you don't know, but try to find out because he calls you his friend, not his servant. A servant doesn't know the master's business. A servant just needs to know that it's his job to get the horse ready. He doesn't need to know where the master's going. Jesus says, look, could you get the horse ready? I'm, I'm riding to Jerusalem. I'm gonna do some business there. We're back around six. He tells the servant his business because the servant is his friend. We are, we are friends of God. And when you step back and think about it, that, that is amazing because he is the one who, who commands heaven's armies. Legions of angels do his bidding. He is the Lord of lords, the king over all kings. He could just command us like that and we ought to obey. But he says, no, I, I count you my friends and I'll explain it all to you. We are friends with the boss, but it gets better than that. Um, I was friends with Flick for, for years. Um, it's better being her husband. Um, we are more than friends with God. Jesus serves us, not only as a friend serves his friends, but as a husband serves his wife. Now, I think sometimes we find that a bit tricky. How do we apply such a romantic and, and sexual relationship as that between a husband and a wife to, to the relationship between Christ and the church? Um, but actually, even in asking that question, we've got things slightly the wrong way round. Um, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, um, page 1177. Um, in the Bibles here, page 1177, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Verse 31 is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, and then verse 32, um, Paul uh, explains and unpacks that quote for us. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When the Bible says that the relationship between Jesus and the church, Jesus and his people, is like that between a husband and a wife. It's not doing what I just did with the soldier and grenade thing. So what I did, I was saying, this is what Jesus does. I'm going to help you feel what that looks like by picking an, an, a little story from history. That's not what's going on here. It's the other way round. Our marriages are the little story that tells us about the marriage between Jesus and his church. Genesis 2 is where God um, institutes marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul says, I am talking about Christ and the church. There, 
God was talking first about the relationship between Jesus and his people, and then secondarily about the marriage that Adam was about to make to Eve. The marriage is the relationship between Jesus and his people. His marriage is the, the model, his marriage is the train, our marriages are the Hornby set. Um, ours are the model, the picture, his is the real thing. It means that, that when Jesus considers his people, he considers us as a husband considers his bride. And Jesus is the best of husbands. Um, some of you will be married, others won't. Um, one of the, the best moments of my life was standing at the top of a church and looking back and seeing Felicity and her dad walking up the aisle towards me. And, and, and Jesus thinks of us with a deeper love than that. The gospel is Cinderella. The prince leaves his palace and goes to find a serving girl and make her his bride. It's pictured around us every time we see a marriage. You, you see it sometimes wonderfully. Um, Catherine Middleton walks into a big church and she comes out a princess. Not because she did anything, but because a prince married her. That's how it works. We didn't do anything, but a prince married us and made us his bride. In fact, the gospel is better than Cinderella because the gospel is Hosea. Um, I don't know if you know the story of Hosea. It's one of the most extraordinary books in the Bible. The Bible's got about 66 extraordinary books in it. Um, Hosea is one of them. And I'll just slowly flip through the prophets until I find it. If anyone finds the page in it's Hosea chapter 3, oh, I think I missed it. It's near the beginning of that. Is it after Amos? It's number 4, thank you. Hosea, John, Amos. Thank you very much. It's page 901 in the Church Bibles, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. And the backstory to this is that the Lord has commanded Hosea to marry an adulterous woman. Um, and by this point, um, his wife, Goma, has sold herself into sex slavery. Um, she's a prostitute. Um, she's got a pimp. It's that kind of situation. Um, and, and this is the Lord's command in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. God loves his people with that sort of love. When he sees that his people have been adulterous, when they've left him to worship other gods, when they've gone far from him, when they've treated him horrendously, when they've sold themselves, God says, I will go through love of my wife. And so the Lord brought her back at the price of his blood 
and made her his wife again. That is how the Lord loves us. He loves us as a husband loves his wife. And his love takes him to the cross to, to bring us back to him. He pays the price of his own blood, his own death, so that his bride might be his again. Do you think you can do anything to stop Jesus serving you? stop Jesus loving you, if that is how he loved you when you were far from him, when you were committing adultery against him. Just um, listen to what he thinks of you. Turn to, to Song of Songs, uh, chapter 4. So we're doing a lot of flicking around. Song of Songs, chapter 4. It's just before Isaiah, um, Song of Songs, page 680 in the church bible song of songs is the love song um, about the marriage between jesus and the church and the marriage between solomon and his bride the shulamite um, chapter four is the wedding speech of the husband so this is what solomon says to his wife and it's what jesus says to his church um, chapter four is the wedding speech of the husband i want you to look at verse nine of song of songs chapter four you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Jesus looks at us and says, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. And that is, I mean, we, we only love him because he first loved us. We only love him because he died our death and took us in and gave us his spirit. And yet he finds our love delightful. Jesus is not a begrudging servant of the church. He doesn't serve us because he has to. He doesn't serve us because the father said he had to, although he would. But actually he serves us with joy with delight, he delights in our love. Jesus is not begrudging in serving you. He isn't going, flip, you've sinned that sin again. Well, I guess I need to forgive you because I am the savior of the world. He delights to forgive you. He loves to love you. He wants you. He wants you, Grace Church. He wants you personally. He wants you, church, across time and space. He wants his bride. That's how our past is dealt with. Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Page 1132 in this Bible. Romans chapter 6, verse 2. I'll start with verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. It doesn't talk about marriage, but it talks about being united with Christ, and marriage is the union Christ makes with us. Um, it's closer than the union between Adam and Eve, or between a human husband and his wife. Uh, Adam and Eve became one flesh, human marriage become one flesh, we become one spirit with the Lord. It's an even closer union. Um, and, and in that union, we die with him and we rise with him. Now, that means that for years I preached the gospel wrong. Um, I preached it like this. This is wrong. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen the film Bruce Almighty. Um, in that film, um, Bruce meets God. And there's a scene in that where God has a filing cabinet and he shows Bruce the file of his righteous deeds. And it's kind of about an inch thick, I think. And he, he, he's feeling quite pleased. He's looking at this file of his righteous deeds, thinking, oh, I've got quite a lot in here. I've got a lot of good things I've done. And then God says, oh, I'll show you the file of your sin. And he opens another drawer and the drawer shoots out about a mile <laughs> and it's full. Um, and, and Bruce feels a bit worse because he's got this file of his righteous. I used to think that what Christ did on the cross was that he paid for all my sin so that I was left with only my righteousness. So when I stood before God, however small my righteousness file and however big my sin file, because the sin file was removed, I only had the righteousness file. And so I was righteous. That's cobblers. It's utterly wrong. Jesus gives us his righteousness. So that when I stand before God, I stand with his righteousness file, the sinless son of God. He doesn't only take our sin, only, but he gives us his righteousness. We are united with him. We died with him and we rose with him, fully justified before God. So that we, we are one with Jesus. We get the, the same relationship with God the Father. Catherine Middleton can walk into Buckingham Palace and say hi to the Queen. We cannot do that because we do not have that relationship. She's married to the Queen's grandson. We are not. We, we have that relationship with God. We have all that Christ has. Marriage, our, our marriage service is brilliant um, in, in England. It's, it was obviously well thought through theologically where the husband and wife promise, all that I have, I share with you. All that I am, I give to you. That's what Jesus says to us. I, I will give you my righteousness, all that I am. I will take your sin. I will take your sin, I will give you my righteousness. We will become one. And, and we, we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. We know that our sin is paid for because through space and time, the Holy Spirit makes us one with Jesus so that those, if you are a Christian, you died on a cross outside Jerusalem in the first century. You died. And your sin died. And then you rose to a new life. And you were united with Jesus as he walked out of that tomb alive. And you are still united with him. The, the destruction of your sin is a historical fact if you are a Christian. Because the Spirit wonderfully makes us one with Jesus. And, and so our sin has died and we live a new righteous life in Christ. We are one with him. So our past is dealt with because we marry 
the king and he dies for us. Um, and, and our future is a wedding feast. Just flick forward to Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Uh, page 1247, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. When Jesus comes back, it'll be for a wedding and we are the bride. We will, we will be presented to him spotless, perfect, shining. And he will marry us and, and we will feast with him. Um, there's a lovely hint here of how our service fits in. Um, verse eight, fine linen. Bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stand to the righteous acts of the saints. Our righteous acts are our wedding dress. And they are given to us to make us beautiful. Now, I'm a bloke. Don't get these things. For me, choosing clothes was going to Moss Bros. Um, choosing which shade of grey and which waistcoat. And then buttoning myself into something tight. But... My observation is that women quite enjoy choosing what they're going to wear on their wedding day <laughs> and make a bit of a party of it and take friends and, and, and enjoy getting dressed in those lovely white dresses and looking beautiful. It is not a burdensome chore to put on your wedding dress. That's our service of Christ. It's putting on our wedding dress. It's not meant to be a burdensome chore. We'll come back to that later, but it's worth just picking up there. We are loved by Christ as his bride. Could we be better served and better loved than that? Actually, yes. It gets better because we are sons of God. We are brought into the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus had. Um, we can call ourselves children. Um, the, reason, the reason sons is important is it stresses that relationship that Jesus had. We are sons of God. Um, we, we see this fatherly heart in God in Luke chapter 15. Um, just turn, turn to that chapter. It's the story of the two sons and the father. Um, one of the sons runs away. One of the sons stays at home. Um, and I love this. Um, so, younger son um, split the property. He said, Dad, um, I want you to split our estate between us. Uh, he, he says, basically, Dad, look, you're just taking a long time to die. Could you give me my inheritance now? Um, I'm really quite fed up with you living. Um, he goes off. He spends the money. He goes in a far country. He blows the whole lot on wine, woman, and song. Uh, there's a famine, a recession. He has to go into the fields to feed pigs. He's so starving, he wants to eat the pig swill. And he comes to his senses, verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He's been looking out. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, do you, do you see, he only gets halfway through his apology. When he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring, a sign of authority, a son's authority on his finger and sandals on his feet. Anyone think of another father in the Bible who gave his son a lovely robe? Jacob gave Joseph a Technicolor dream coat and because he was his son and he loved him, this father gives his son the best robe. It's like when the son gets the part where he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father says, you don't get to make that call. I am your father and I say you are my son. There is no I told you so. There is no work for six months as a hard man and we'll see how it goes. There is no, okay, you can be my son, but you've got quite a lot to pay back. There is a kiss and a hug and a robe and a ring. And I don't want to hear an apology. That is God. That is how God the Father sees us. When we come back, he is just delighted. He doesn't demand an apology. He doesn't want to hear us always say, Will you forgive me? It's like, yes, yes, didn't you see Jesus died? That's been taken care of. I love you. Welcome back. Bring the best robe. Bring the ring. You will rule the nations with my son. I love you. You're back. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. God loves you as a child. That is his heart. And in Romans 8, we're told how he achieves that love for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Um, this is the last little bit of flicking for this afternoon and it's for this morning, and it's a good, a good place to go. Uh, page 1135. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. This is a very good couple of verses to memorize um, and throw in Satan's face when he tells you God doesn't love you. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. If you are a Christian, you are a son of God. And that's not a, a male chauvinistic thing. The point is you are 
related to God in the same way as Jesus the Son. Um, Paul uses the children language here. We can call ourselves children. We can call ourselves sons and daughters. But we are sons like the Son. We are co-heirs with Christ. When God gives us his spirit, he adopts us as his sons, and he does not make a distinction between his natural son, Jesus, his eternal son, the only begotten son of God, and us in how he loves us, in what he gives us. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are not second-class children. He doesn't play favourites. I mean, that is, I think, almost unbelievable. I stick the almost in so I don't blaspheme. <laughs> but that God so draws us into his family that he considers us co-heirs with his son. When Jesus comes back, we will, we will see his coming. And we will come before him. And I guess we may well look down ashamed at our faithlessness, at our sin, at, at the poor ways we've served him. And he will lift our faces. And in his eyes and on his lips, we will see a smile. And he will kiss us. And he will say, you are my bride. Well done, good, faithful servant. Come to me, I love you. Your love for me is delightful. And then he will take us with an arm around our shoulders to God the Father and say, Father, here is your son. And that will be our eternity. And that is our now. That is how Jesus and God and the Spirit relate to us. Jesus serves us as a friend serves his friends. He serves us as a husband serves his wife. He serves us as a brother serves the other sons of his father. That is, that is who we are. This afternoon, we're going to learn that you can call yourself a servant of Christ. But first, you need to call yourself a friend of Christ. You need to call yourself the bride of Christ. And you need to call yourself a son of God the Father. You are a brother of Christ, a sister of Christ. And once we have those things lodged in our hearts, we can begin to understand what it means to call ourselves servants of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, who is worthy to speak of these things. I thank you that you give your spirit because there is nothing in me that can communicate these truths rightly. They are too wonderful, too good, too majestic. And, and yet, because you are kind, you send your spirit and he opens our hearts to see Jesus Christ by the eyes of faith. Thank you that Jesus is, is our friend, is our husband, and is our brother. And Father, I pray for those here who, who do not know Christ, that they would see him, their eyes would be opened, and they would follow him now. And for those here who do know Christ, that their eyes would be fixed on him like never before, 
and that they would follow him more closely with a greater wonder and a deeper love even than they had beforehand. Father, work this in us by your spirit, we pray. Amen.